Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. For the next two days, we're going to be talking about the nation of Israel. What's going on there? There's so much in the news about Israel. And what's God's plan for the future? Well, I can tell you this, it's great. So we can get our eyes on what's going on around us, but understand this, when we have the answer through the Word of God, it changes our perspective on everything. Let's go to the Word of God together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. It's great to have you here today. I'm going to be speaking about what's going on in Israel right now, what's going on in Israel as far as the world's condition, but also as far as the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is fascinating stuff to me because I just love studying about end times. And uh, so what's coming up now, I'm going to begin this particular broadcast out of Romans chapter 11. There are three chapters in the book of Romans dealing with Paul's relationship and past relationship to the Jewish people. And in chapter 8, he is speaking to the church, speaking to us in chapters 9, 10, and 11. He just makes a reflection back on his past, where he came from, his love for the Jewish people. And so I'm offering, not only am I offering the book on understanding the end times, I want to make you also available to the book of Romans. And again, three chapters. Chapter 8 of the book of Romans continues in chapter 12. And in this meantime, Paul just stops and does a reflection for three chapters on God's relationship with with Israel, his past out of Israel, and then what God's future plan for them is too. So this will help you immensely along with my book on understanding the end times. So I know it's going to be a great blessing to you. Romans chapter 11, I want you to turn there. Again, this is a 9, 10, 11 deal with Paul's relationship, his love for the Jew. And even though, I mean, he even makes a statement here. He loved the Jewish people so much. They said, I wish sometimes myself could be a curse so that they could get saved. In other words, if it was possible for me to give my life so the Jewish nation could be saved, I would do it. But the point of it is only one person has ever done that, and that was Jesus Christ himself. And now without Paul's relationship to Jesus, he would have never said that. So again, his love for them was intense. But in Romans chapter 11, Paul brings out something interesting about the Jewish people. In verses 12 through 15, he says, now if their fall, this refers to after the church age began, then the decline of the Jewish nation, and then their dispersion around the earth for 2000 years. And then in 1948, were given back their land again. If so, since the year 1948, the Jews have been coming back to the land from every nation of the world. So it says in Romans 11, verse 12, now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness be? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? He's simply pointing out there is a time period. And in that time period, he's pointing out that the Jews have been uh, turned from God. They turned themselves from God. And God has literally put them in a state where they have been taken captive around the world, but is going to bring them back. And of course, 
he did this in 1948. And what he brings out here is he said there is a partial blindness that is over that nation. And in that partial blindness that they have, they have rejected Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice it's called a partial blindness. Looked at verse 25, uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Here he magnifies what's going on in that nation. And he says, for I do not desire brethren. He's speaking to the Gentiles, those he's writing this letter to. For I do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. He says, during this time period, 2,000 years, over the past history, we'll take this up here in just a moment too, Israel has been in the land and out of the land many times. And so the last time they were in the land uh, before 1948 was when they were there, when Jesus was there. And this was the time that God chose. This is when you make up your mind. Now, listen to me, a lot of Jews got saved when Jesus was there, but the leadership of the nation rejected Jesus. They were the ones responsible for putting on the cross, not the Roman people themselves, the Jews. The Romans did the act of crucifying him, but even the Roman leaders said, we see no fault in this man. And uh, we don't understand why you're doing this, but the Jews wanted him on the cross so bad, they used the Roman empire, accused Jesus of insurrection toward the Roman government, and they put Jesus on the cross. But this was all part of God's plan. God didn't put him on the cross. It was God's plan for him to go to the cross so he could bear the sins of the world. And so when Jesus went to the cross and then arose from the dead a few days later, the day of Pentecost began, And at that time, Israel went into a partial blindness. The partial blindness here does not mean they can't get saved. It is difficult for them to get saved. And the partial blindness happened to them until the time the Gentiles has come in. And so the times of the Gentiles, the fullness of the times of the Gentiles will come when the rapture of the church comes. So for 2000 years, from the day of Pentecost up until the rapture of the church, we have entered a time period that Paul calls in this statement here in verse 25, ignorant of this mystery. The word mystery in the Gospels, and uh, mentioned once in the Gospels, and then mentioned many times in the epistles, Paul's epistles, John's epistles, others. Mystery is a reference to the church age, the time we live in. Why was it called a mystery? It's not a mystery because we don't understand it. It's a mystery because it was not understood before the time the church came. During the time of the church, we have things that were never even brought up, never understood, all prophetically speaking, that Listen, angels didn't know the church age was coming. Satan didn't know the church age was coming. The Old Testament saints didn't know the church age was coming. The Old Testament prophets didn't know the church age was coming. And so Jesus made mention of the term church, and I'm sure his disciples probably looked at each other. When Jesus said, I'll build my church, they probably went, what's the church? I don't know. Let's forget about it. And many things that Jesus mentioned did not come to pass until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And on that day, when the church began, this dispensation of the mystery was poured out. And we understand things today they never never understood the Old Testament. How about the fact that we are the children of God did not exist in the Old Testament. The family of God did not exist in the Old Testament. The body of Christ did not exist in the Old Testament. Teaching on the rapture of the church did not occur in the Old Testament, and it did not occur in the four Gospels. Jesus made one mention of it where he said, I'm going to go to heaven, and one day I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you'll be also. That was his reference to the to the rapture of the church. But the teaching on the rapture of the church doesn't come in until you get into the epistles of the New Testament and especially Paul's teaching. 
We can go down the list of other things. The fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us, the fact that we are part of the body of Christ and become the, the bride of Christ. All this is stuff that was never taught in the Old Testament, not known in the Old Testament. And as far as the Old Testament saints were concerned and the writings of the prophets, there really is no church age. They came right up till the time Jesus was crucified. And the next thing they have is recorded in history, especially in Daniel chapter nine is the next thing that happens is Jesus Christ is anointed as the king of the earth and the tribulation occurs and then Jesus Christ takes over. All that is prophesied in the Old Testament, but the church in between, the time when Jesus left and went to heaven and will return for his church, all that is part of the mystery. Notice what he said happens during the mystery. I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Not full blindness. He just says, and this will happen until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? That's the end of the church age and the coming of Jesus Christ for his church. So because of Israel's rejection of their Messiah, a partial blindness toward the gospel has come upon them. This blindness will be removed at the coming of Jesus Christ for the church. And once the church goes up, that partial blindness will be gone and the responsibilities that used to be given to Israel and have now been given to the church in the time we are living in will be given back to Israel for seven years during that time of the uh, tribulation on the earth. What is one of those? Well, one of those, this blindness will be removed. They'll see the, the, the truth of the gospel and immediately 144,000 Jews will be saved. This is recorded in the book of Revelation and that's 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. The blindness will be removed at the coming of Jesus for the church and Israel will once again be responsible for the gospel and this dissemination of the word of God. In other words, the Great Commission will be given back to Israel because they had it in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of them that bring glad tidings. That's the good news of the Word of God. So the gospel was given to Israel in the Old Testament. They forfeited it at the time when Jesus was there. And he said, what you have will be taken from you and given to another nation. That new nation will be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he says that in here speaking, Paul says that's going to be given back to them when the church is taken. So Israel will once again be responsible for the gospel and for the teaching of the word of God, the great commission, and they will take it to the world. And so it'll again come back to Israel. God gave the gospel to Israel, then they were to take it to the nation. So Israel's history in the land has been interesting from the time it was given. Let me just say something about the nation of Israel. Israel, and especially the city of Jerusalem, as far as we know, are timeless. They are eternal. What do I mean by that? We can't find a time when Israel began. We can't find a time when Jerusalem began. And many of the nations that are back there in the Old Testament, we know when they started. We know how they were founded, but not Israel. In fact, in chapter 14 of the book of Genesis is where Abraham met Melchizedek and Melchizedek was called the king of Salem. Salem is another name from Jerusalem. And I want you to notice in chapter 14 of Genesis, Israel already 
existed. And the city of Jerusalem already existed. We're not even told how it was founded, but there it was. And on top of that, it has no end to it. It is an eternal nation and an eternal city. After the tribulation is over, the millennial reign of Jesus, he'll come and sit on the throne that is in the temple in Israel. After the millennium is over, heaven will come and rest over the earth and it will rest over Jerusalem. And heaven is called the new Jerusalem and it will go on forever and forever and forever. So here's the point of it. Israel, Jerusalem, having no history as far as starting has been concerned, God gave them this place. And so again, it comes back to it. All the fighting we have today over the nation of Israel and they're claiming, oh, the Palestinians own it and all that. They don't own it. Israel's owned it from the very beginning. And in 1948, the United Nations put their stamp of approval on it, said this nation is theirs. Today, they're talking about they can kick them out and do all. No, no. The United Nations made it, validated it, and God validated it in the word of God. Israel owns that piece of land. It's small in comparison to all of the nations around it, but that tiny little spot that the nations of the world are fighting over that want it so bad. It's not the fact they want all the resources that are there. It's not the fact they want all of the riches that are there. They simply want it because Satan wants that piece of ground. And if Satan owns it, then history cannot go on. And in essence, prophecy can't be fulfilled and he will win and God will lose. But that's not going to happen. You could read the end of the book and guess what? The church wins. Jesus wins. Israel wins. Jesus Christ comes back and rules and reigns and Satan is kicked off this planet for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, he'll have a short history of trying to come back. He'll try again to overthrow God, and then he will be cast into the lake of fire forever and forever. It's nice to know the end of history, isn't it? And it's in the hands of God. I'll see you right after the break. March the 7th through the 9th, I'm having my minister's conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Joseph Z will be joining me and I want you to join me too, no matter what phase of ministry you're involved in. March the 7th through the 9th. Romans New Testament Commentary is a verse-by-verse teaching of the Book of Romans from the personal study notes of Pastor Bob Yandian. In his letter to the Romans, Paul clarified the principle of justification and whether it is by deeds of the law or by the work of God. Paul reveals that the law has never been a means of salvation and that faith has always been the means of spirituality regardless of the dispensation. This epistle also helps us to understand how we may gain victory over the flesh. If we as believers walk according to our new nature, the inward man, we are controlled by the Holy Spirit and not the sin nature. To order Romans New Testament Commentary, visit our website at bobbyendian.com. Understanding the end times, one of the most incredible and fascinating doctrines in the Word of God, will bring us comfort for the days in which we live. The Bible says we are to encourage and exhort one another with the knowledge of Jesus returning for His saints. In Understanding the End Times, Pastor Bob Yandian provides a thorough and exciting study to give you more revelation of these times in which we live. Topics include the seven dispensations, the dispensation of the mystery, the rapture of the church, the judgment seat of Christ, Daniel's 70 weeks, the temple discourse, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. To order Understanding the End Times, visit bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. 
You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Let me just give you a little bit of background on what's going on today with all the fighting going on around Israel, with all the trouble we see going on around Israel. This is all prophesied in the Word of God. Now, the specifics are not prophesied until later after the church is gone as to which nations are going to cooperate. But all we're seeing right now is the beginning of sorrows. And Jesus talked about this in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew. He said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, and right now we're seeing it. We're seeing it around the world. We're seeing the United uh, Nations, and we're seeing nations united night together for a one world government. And all this, this is fine uh, as far as the Bible is concerned, because Jesus is going to come back and settle it all. And the, we found this out. Nations who turn toward socialism do not function correctly. They eventually fall apart. But now we're going to have an entire world operating under socialism. We're going to have a communist one world government, basically what it is. And so again, Jesus is going to have to come and destroy all of that at the end. But the one big thorn in all of them is Israel, not the United United States is Israel. That's the one they're after. And that's why Satan is after it, because God has prophesied in the word of God, the future of Israel, where Jesus will rule and reign from, and he'll sit on the throne in the temple. And so that's what Satan is after. He's going to get his man, Antichrist, sitting on that throne for three and a half years, but he will not survive on it. Jesus will eventually sit there. So it's all prophesied in the word of God. And that's why Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, I mean, don't, you know, go hide in your house and pull your covers up over your head or don't watch all the news trying to keep up with figuring out what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Well, there's certain things you can do. Should you, you know, still say patriotic to your country? Absolutely. Should you pray for your nation? Yes. It's brought in Ephesians where she, we're to pray for kings and all that have authority over us that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Well, we're supposed to pray for our nation. We're supposed to help in any way. We're supposed to vote right. Find out who to vote for and vote for it. But understand this, that will not change world history. It will slow it down. It means you are here doing your patriotic as well as your spiritual duty, and please do so. But the point of it is, God's going to handle the whole thing. And so we leave that in His hands. Not, it doesn't mean we turn all responsibility over Him. We still have responsibility. But the greatest responsibility we have is not voting for our, for our president or voting for our senators or congressmen. The greatest thing we're supposed to do is not help the school board, although we are to help the school board. All these things are great things to do. But the greatest thing God left us with is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I like to talk to some of these guys that talk about how that they're, man, they're really getting involved in politics. They're getting involved in all these things about helping our nation out, and they want to bring back America's greatness and all this. And I ask them one question, when's the last time you led somebody to Jesus? They just look at you dumbfounded because it's been years with some of them. They haven't led anybody to Jesus in the past number of years. They've been so caught up in all this and simply comes back to this. What we're seeing around us, man's help cannot help help. All we're hearing about is the problems. We hear about no answers. The problem comes back when they expound on what's going on in our school systems, expound what's going on behind the scenes in government. We're going to tell you what's really going on behind the, the nation's uh, presidency and all this. And they go behind the parties, the Republicans, and the Democrats, and they're giving us all this stuff. And by the time we're through listening to it, we know a whole lot about the problem. But there is no answer. The answer is yes, there is. And I would rather focus on the answer than to focus on the problem. I don't want to 
stick my head in the sand and dis and make everything just disappear so I don't have to see what's going on. I want to know what's going on in our nation, but the point of it is I do not look to the re- Republicans or the Democrats or the vote coming up to settle the problems in our country. I look to the coming of Jesus Christ. In the meantime, I'm going to win souls because I can tell you this, whoever is elected president, angels will not rejoice over it. I can tell you this, whichever party is ruling in Washington, the angels will not rejoice over it because all of that is temporary. If your man or woman gets in office as president of the United States, you might rejoice for a while, but you know what? It's temporary. They might actually win twice and be in there for eight years and do some changes in our country. But you know what? It's still not the answer. That's why angels don't rejoice. Angels don't rejoice over anything temporary. They rejoice over those things that are eternal. And what is eternal is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so that's why angels rejoice over every sinner who repents, because it's the only eternal thing you can do on earth. Well, I can get them filled with the Holy Spirit. It will last till the rapture. Once you're in heaven, there's no being filled with the Holy Spirit because there's no gifts of the Spirit up there. There's no speaking with tongues in heaven. All that's for down here on this earth. Everything you can do down here that is not winning souls, angels don't rejoice over it. They rejoice over one thing because only one thing is eternal. A person accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is changed for eternity. Not only here, but when they get to heaven, they'll be forever in their resurrection body. They'll be up there in heaven with Jesus Christ forever. And then we'll come back and rule and reign with him on this earth. That is eternal. So what I'm saying is refocus your attention. I'm not saying don't get involved in politics. Don't, you know, quit voting and all this. No, no, do the right thing because that's part of your Christian responsibility here on earth. But the one thing that God has put number one is this, winning souls. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. This again causes rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Let's talk about Israel's history in the land. Israel's history has been going out and coming into the land of Israel for centuries from the time that they came in. Abraham and Sarah were promised the land back in chapter 14 of the book of Genesis. Abraham and Sarah came to Canaan. Then they departed for Egypt because of a famine in Canaan and they left there twice. And so in the leaving of it twice, this is when Abraham tried to give his wife away twice to the leader of Egypt. And then, you know, even the leader of Egypt woke up when he found out that Abraham's wife was the one he was after and then chewed out Abraham for even offering her. But Abraham even told Sarah, I'm offering you because I want to save my own skin. Go back and read it. It's an amazing thing about the evilness that was inside the heart of Abraham and the thing that he had a jealousy over his own life and didn't care that much about Sarah. Later on, he really fell in love with her toward the end of their life. But Abraham and Sarah came to Canaan and then they departed for Egypt because of the famine in Canaan. God didn't say that. He said, go to He said, go to Canaan. I'll take care of you. I'll be everything to you if you'll just forsake everything here in Ur of the Chaldees and go to the land of Canaan. And so they went, but when they got there, they tried to take care of themselves and got themselves into trouble. The sons of Jacob sold Joseph into slavery some three or four generations later. And then he ended up, Joseph ended up in slavery and then came, became the prime minister over Egypt immediately under Pharaoh himself and brought his family into Egypt to save them during the time of famine in Israel. So they stayed there for 400 years and then took 40 years to come 
come through the desert to re-enter Canaan. They were gone from Canaan for 440 years. And during that time of the judges afterwards, when Israel came into the land under Joshua and they conquered all the, the, the nations that were there, and took over. They sat back, rocked in their rocking chairs, enjoyed what they had, but they didn't do everything God asked them to do. He asked them to kill all the giants. They didn't do that. And so during the time of the judges, they were driven out many times and had to fight their way back in. So we see Abraham coming to the land, departing and coming back later. Later on, we see that happening again. And uh, under Joseph, when they went there for 400 years and they became slaves in the land in 40 years in the wilderness, now they come back. They've been driven out and come back in, driven out and come back in. They were taken into Babylon because of their worship of idols. And they were gone from Israel for 70 years. This was the times of the writing of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and other prophets back there, Daniel especially. And then they returned and remained for over 500 years. When they got back, they never worshiped idols again. And then uh, later on, after the 500 years they were there, Jesus prophesied this was going to happen. They were killed by the Romans, thousands upon thousands of them. Uh, fed to the lions. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. And the people, many of them ran from Israel and settled in all the nations around the world. And they were there for 2,000 years. The Jews returned to Israel in 1948. And when they returned in 1948, they will never be removed again. The land is permanently theirs and they will fight to stay there. Now we have nations trying to drive them out. And we have uh, the Arab nations trying to, to drag them out, fight, uh, kill them, take them out and being terrible. And the things we're hearing about what's going on over there. I mean, and to see that the nation we live in and students in our nation and other nations around the world are supporting Hamas and these other ones against Israel when we ought to be on the side of Israel. God promises that he'll bring peace to those who pray for the peace of Israel. So the setting aside of the nation of Israel brought the gospel message to the Gentile world. What will the result of that restoration of Israel be? This is what Paul is saying. If you think it was great up until the time the church came and took over and Israel was here, but now the church has taken over. You think the church has done great and Israel's been set aside. What do you think is going to happen when Israel comes out of that and comes back to their land and God pours out a blessing on them? You're about to see some great things happen. So in the midst of all that, Israel came back in 1948. And really what happened was God said a great blessing came into the world because of the Jewish nation. Again, like I said, Israel is the only eternal nation and Jerusalem, the only eternal city in the world. So God's promise to Abraham about Israel's future was brought out in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. In Genesis 15, verse 18, God says, he says to your descendants, I have given this land. No, those is physical land. And the descendants he's talking about are not just the Jews. They are the saved Jews because at the time when Jesus removes all unbelievers, off the earth. In chapter 25 of the book of Matthew, he's going to take the unbelievers and they're going to be cast into hell and the believers will be left on the earth. So when I'm talking here that the descendants are going to be given this land, the descendants will be the born again, the saved Jews of Israel. From, from Abraham himself came two sets of offspring. God said, your offspring will be as the stars of heaven and the sands of the sea. The sands of the sea is a reference to the natural Jew. 
on the earth. They're, they're on the planet. But he said there's a heavenly race coming that is going to be made up of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation, every nation, and that is the body of Christ. That's those that receive Jesus. So the two descendants that came out of Abraham and Sarah is this, the saved Jews and the unsaved Jews all came from them, but the unsaved Jews are going to be removed from the earth because of one thing, not because they're Jews. They don't have special privileges in heaven and going to heaven because they're Jews. They have special privileges because they're Jews on earth, but nothing eternal. So that when a saved Jew dies, he goes to heaven and an unsaved Jew dies, he goes to hell. It's the same as with everybody because Jesus Christ is the dividing line. Your works have nothing to do with it. Your nationality has nothing to do with it. Your gender has nothing to do with it. Your intelligence has nothing to do with it. Your riches have nothing to do with it. Just one question is all that's settled and brings down witnessing to something simple. Jesus Christ, whose son is he? He's the son of God, died for the sins of the world. And if you'll accept him as Lord and Savior, you might be a physical Jew now, sand of the sea, but you can be changed into a stars of heaven. You'll be turned into a divine race of people out of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the essence of the New Testament, how the Jews and Gentiles got along together in so many churches and setting the stage for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to continue this tomorrow, and I know you're going to be blessed, so we'll see you tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.